So we are smack dab in the middle of this series called Big Church. And we're actually walking through the book of Acts, and we're going to walk through a lot of chapters today. We're going to go through a ton of scripture, so just kind of hang on as, as we go do this. But, uh, man, I love this, and, and, and talking about the early church, because the church is a big deal. And, and, and as we see what happened after Jesus' resurrection, it was just incredible. And, and, and we're actually, I think, seeing part of that happening today, a, a, a new sense of God's movement here. And, uh, man, just been some really cool stuff. And... Hey, where I want to kind of start is, is kind of get you thinking about this whole thing. And I don't know what you think of when you hear the word church. What is it when you hear the word church? What is, immediately comes to mind? And my guess is, is that you think of, uh, of a place. You think of a building. You think of a time. And, and maybe you say things like, you know what, I grew up going to church. Or, you know, we went to church. And, and, and for some reason, just in the back of our mind, we have this thing. And, and we, it's hard to get over of that we just just have this thing that church is a place, but it's so much more than that. And when you think about the church at, at you know, 2,000 years, what survives for 2,000 years? As we look at what's happening around us, man, I, I, how in the world has the church survived for that length of time? And if we're honest, if we look back in church history, we've done everything we can to mess it up as followers of Jesus. There's been times in, 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 the, in church history that, you know, it's embarrassing to look back on and, and see what has happened. And, and you wonder, well, we survived all that. And that's because Jesus himself said, I will build my church. And that nothing is going to stop it. Not even the powers of hell will be able to stop the church. And here we are today, over 2,000 years later. And the interesting thing is, Jesus said, I'm not only going to build my church, it's my plan to reach the entire world world. It's how I'm going to do everything. And, and that has not changed. There is no plan B. Plan A is the church, us, a movement, the big C church, making a difference in the world as we know it. So what I want to do is just kind of go back and recap so that you can catch up to see where we are before we actually start in today. And, and it, this whole thing started when Jesus was crucified. And if you remember, the disciples all scattered they did not picture. They thought Jesus was going to be a political movement and he was going to take over the government there. That's what they actually expected the Messiah to do. And then they see the leader of their organization, the thing that they had given their life for for the last three years, crucified and died. And they're thinking, we are next. They're going to come after us. This thing is over. They're going to get no traction. The church is, the, is going to be dead. Our movement is gone. And then they saw the resurrected Jesus. And everything change for them. And Jesus told them to go into the, a room and, and just wait for the Holy Spirit. And as Jordan talked about the very first week, the Holy Spirit came and, and they were transformed. They went from these scared people thinking that they were going to be the next one to be, be killed, denying Jesus and, and wondering, how are we going to get through this? To being bold and going out in the streets. And as the Holy Spirit came to them, they were able to go out in this time and speak in different languages to everybody that was there and changed everything. They were so bold. They did whatever it took and, and as this church started to grow, it started throwing off the balance of Rome and the Jews. The, Rome was the, the governing body at that, that point in time, and, and, the, and the Jews, the Israelites there that was gathered to worship, Rome kind of let them do their own thing as long as they didn't you know, get too out of hand. And so this balance was starting to, to kind of get complicated, and, and they didn't know really what to do with this whole thing. And it was becoming more and more of a problem. And then... And then as the disciples, and Peter and John, they go out into the crowds and, and, and they start talking about this resurrected Jesus. 
and they go get thrown in jail. They heal a beggar. They get thrown in jail. They don't know what to do with them. They, they really say, don't go talk about this Jesus at all. Don't do it. Just stop. And then they go back out, and they start preaching once again. But as they're in jail, they, they come back out to all their, all their people who are following them at the time, and here's what they, 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 they say. This is what's happened. We've been thrown in jail. We're being persecuted at this time. And, and they're going to get a prayer meeting together. And here's what they pray in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants. And I want to just stop there for a moment. And I want to put us in their shoes, if you will. Here they are starting this brand new thing. They have seen Jesus crucified. They know that he's been risen. They are talking to the very same people in the very same rooms that had him crucified that can hold their lives in their hands. And so here we would be in the same way that we would be being persecuted. And we go out and we know that they're, they're coming after us. What would you and I pray for? My guess is we would, we would do something like this. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants some comfort. Give us your servants some protection. God, help us, if you will. Keep us safe. But here's what they pray. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. It was amazing the transformation that these people went through, that this early church went through. They became bold, and that's what Jordan talked about last week, of we gotta pray these dangerous prayers of being bold with our faith, being bold about how we live out our lives. And we kind of stopped in Acts chapter five last week, and here's what's happening in Acts chapter five. All the apostles were actually thrown into jail Again, for preaching the word, for preaching this resurrection of Jesus, the basis of their, their, their faith. And they're, so they're thrown into jail, and an angel comes and basically releases all of them. He says, hey, guys, come on out, and why don't you just go in the morning and go to the temple? And so all the Jewish leaders were, were deciding what they were going to do with all these apostles. And they, they, they convened this court, this, and they were going to talk about what it is. And they say, hey, go get all the people we have in jail. And they go to get the people in jail, and they're all gone. And they're dumbfounded. They don't know what to do. They say, where, well, where are they? Let's go find them. Well, guys, they're in the temple courts doing exactly what you told them not to do. It's amazing what has happened. And they bring them in, and they're flogged once again. And here's the apostles' reactions. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Everything based on the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. They had this simple message, the foundation of the church, the thing that drove them out in the streets, the thing that made them so bold was the resurrection of Jesus. That's what the church is founded on, and it's no different today. And I want you to think about this. Here are these apostles in jail, beaten. They may end up the same way Jesus does, crucified. And they don't ask, where is God in all this? Why are we being persecuted? They're not asking, well, why are bad things happening to good people? Now, what they are is they are bold. They can't stop talking about what has happened, what they have witnessed, what is going on. And the church continues to build and continues to grow. And as the church continues to grow, now all of a sudden there's some grumbling going on inside the church. And I know that you're shocked because that just doesn't happen in church, okay? 
But here they are, and, and, and what the grumbling is really about is that, that, that some of the, the widows and some of the vulnerable are not really being taken care of. And the apostles say, well, we, you know, we're so busy trying to, to, to reach other people that we don't know, we can't do everything. And so they, they gather up some men, and they make the first deacon board, basically. And Stephen is one of those, those people. He's a man just filled with the Spirit. And he's, he's a man of, of grace and power. They say that he's, he's done miracles and signs. And, and they set up this whole system, how they're going to take care of these widows and these vulnerable and the, and the marginalized. And he's arguing with these Jewish leaders once again as they come and say, you just can't talk about this Jesus guy. And, he, and, he, and they just can't keep up with him. And so they have him arrested. And they had people lie about it. And, and they brought him before the high council. And before the high council, chapter 7, you can read it yourself. It's the longest scripture or longest sermon recorded in all of scripture. And, and he, he just breaks down everything, proving that Jesus was actually who he said he was. He was the Messiah. And he ends this whole thing by this in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. He says, you stubborn people. Remember who he's talking to. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestor did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed, and murdered. He is talking to the very same people that had Jesus crucified. He is talking to the religious elite. He is, this movement is getting pushed back from inside the religion. It's getting pushed back from inside the old system the temple system, from the Jews and, and, and the religious leaders. goes on in verse 54. The leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. I love the picture of this. <laughs> Have you ever had your kids do that to you? You know, you're saying something, they go, oh, I don't want to hear that. That's kind of how I picture this whole thing. They rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. And it's an amazing thing. Stephen is not taking a stand for the culture, and the culture this time was wicked, and it was heathen. There was all kinds of sexual immorality. They were worshiping other gods. They were doing things. Some say there was even sacrificing children to God. It, it was an ugly, ugly culture, but this is not the resistance that he's talking about. It's coming from inside the religion itself. And I love this picture of him. He loves just like Jesus did. We know that Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And Stephen takes the same posture he has learned. He understands that this movement, this brand new movement that Jesus ushered in with, the, with his death and resurrection was one based on love. It was an upside-down kingdom. It wasn't a kingdom like anybody else would think of. It wasn't a kingdom of power. It was a kingdom of self-denial. It was a kingdom of love. It was a kingdom of serving others. And he asked God to forgive the very people who are putting him to death. And Stephen becomes the first martyr. And Rome, the government, really doesn't do anything about it. And now all of a sudden the Jewish leaders are emboldened because Rome didn't come and intervene for someone they had murdered. 
And so now a great persecution starts out, and they just go after the church like never before. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And, and Saul is just that he, uh, Hebrew name of, of who we know as, as the Apostle Paul. Verse 2, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. <clears throat> Do you remember the words of Jesus that we talked about in the very first week? I'm going to send you out to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God is using this persecution. He is using these struggles. He's using these things to advance the kingdom. He gave them, he didn't take them out of the suffering. He did not take them out of the persecution. What he did, he gave them the power to go through it. He gave them the power to endure it so that the, the advancement of the kingdom would actually happen. Verse 2, some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house because that's where the church was. There wasn't a building. He went from house to house dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And Paul and Saul is doing this out of great reverence to God. He is convinced that this is what God has in store for him, that this is his calling in his life. And this went on for three years, Saul persecuting the church. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers the way he found there. He wanted to arrest the way. These were not called Christians yet. It wasn't until they went to Antioch, and it was actually a derogatory term, Christians, it was, it was because Jesus said that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. So he got dubbed this radical, this narrow thinking <clears throat> of what this whole movement was all about, and then something crazy happens. In verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Do you understand the implication here? Saul, by persecuting the movement, Saul, by persecuting these Jesus followers, are actually persecuting Jesus. What Jesus is saying is, what you do to my people, you're doing to me. See, we, the church, are representatives of Jesus on this earth. We are the hands and feet of him. We are the ones who are supposed to be out showing people what Jesus looks like in flesh. That's what it is all about. That's what we are called to be as followers of Jesus. And then Saul is blinded, and he goes to Damascus, and he's blind for three days, and we pick up the story in verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias, Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And my guess is there's this awkward pause that Ananias, you know, he's heard this name, this, this Saul before. That rings a bell somewhere. And then it clicks to him who this Saul Tarsus actually is. And he says to God, but Lord, ex ex exclaimed Ananias, 
I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And he has, a, he has some options right now. He can say, here I am, God, I am not going. He can say, here I am, God, send someone else. Or he can say, here I am, God, send me. But the Lord said, go, soft is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. And we have no idea how radical that statement is. He's, he's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must what? Have to suffer for my name's sake. We cannot imagine how radical this statement is. The Gentiles were considered dogs to the Israelites. We're going to talk about some of that next week. They, they were just the, the dredge of humanity. humanity. They did not want to associate with them whatsoever. And here is God taking a movement that he's going to take someone through suffering and go reach the Gentiles and the kings and then the Jews also. It was unbelievable. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And it is game on, ladies and gentlemen, for the church. God is doing something absolutely amazing now. And it's going to change the world forever. It's the reason we are sitting here today. Verse 19, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. His message was Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. He was the Messiah. He lived, he was crucified, and he was resurrected. The foundation of our faith. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And the Jewish leaders decided it is time to end the Saul. It is time to kill him. And he has a bounty on his head. And you know what's interesting? It's exactly, it's exactly what Stephen said was going to happen. It's exactly what Stephen said. This is what you always do. You go out and kill whoever is against you, who is, is setting something up brand new. And for 12 or 15 years, we see Paul here sporadically. He spends time with Peter. He spends time with James, the, the brother of Jesus. And he starts these missionary journeys through Turkey and Greece. And he starts planting these little ecclesias, these churches, these movements based on the resurrection of Jesus. He goes to Ephesus. He goes to Corinth. He goes to all these places, Philippi. And he starts, he starts telling them about this resurrected Jesus. And he goes into the temples to the Jews first. And, and they normally kick him out or they, they, they try to stone him. They do all kinds of things. And then he goes and leaves them and he goes out to the Gentiles, the heathen, the dogs. And he starts talking about this resurrected Jesus with them. And these churches starting to expand and starting to grow all the time. Everything has changed and God is doing something absolutely brand new. Paul goes through shipwrecks. He's left for dead so many times. He's stoned. All kinds of things have happened to him. 
He's, he's thrown into jail. Sometimes he, he's just in a, in a regular jail. Sometimes he's at house arrest. Sometimes he's in a dungeon. And while he's there, just to fill his time, he writes to all these churches that he's planted. It's how we have two-thirds of our New Testament. I think sometimes that God had him arrested just so that he would have stop and, stop and long enough to write down some of these things. And he finds himself in jail one last time. And one morning his jail cell opens up. And they lead him out to a part of the city where he knows exactly where he's going. And he knows it's about to be over. And they take him out, and he's beheaded. And it makes me wonder, where do we ever get the idea that following Jesus is easy? Where did we ever get the idea that following Jesus, but being a Christ follower was going to be easy and comfortable, that that's what the whole thing was all about? Where did we ever get the feeling that, that how can bad things happen to good people? As we look at the life of, of, of Paul, and, and we look at even Jesus' life, ending up crucified, and then we think of all the things that actually Jesus said. Jesus actually told us, you will have problems. You will have troubles in this life. No matter what you're doing, you're following me, it's going to cost you something. John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest man that ever lived, he prepared the way for Jesus. He's thrown into jail. And, and word gets to Jesus that John the Baptist is in jail. John actually sends some of his disciples to say, say, are you the one? Because here he is in jail. This isn't supposed to happen to, to, uh, to someone like, like John the Baptist. And Jesus doesn't rescue him. And John the Baptist is taken out and beheaded. Jesus goes into towns, and, and, and even though he does heal people, he doesn't heal everyone. But somehow we have this idea that life is supposed to be easy as a Christ follower. History will tell us that 11 of the disciples were martyred. Some run through by a spear, some crucified. John, John the apostle John, who, who wrote Revelations, was just banned to, a, to Patmos, an, an island. But it's, it's thought that he was actually thrown into a, a, a whole jar of boiling oil at one point. But he didn't die, and so they just banished him. The disciples, the apostles, knew that following Jesus was going to cost them something. And we never see in the book of Acts that God doesn't love them because of their persecution and because of their suffering and what they're going through. We find a boldness in them, this life change in them that just drove them because of the message of the resurrected Jesus their comfort, their ease, the things that they were going through was secondary. The only thing that was important to them was reaching the entire world with Jesus. And so many times, people walk away because of the stuff that they're going through, the hard stuff that they're facing. And, and that's a hard truth, and maybe you don't want to hear it. It's, it's challenging for us this is something we've been wrestling around with in the office for the last couple of weeks as we knew I was going to be talking about this and we were all talking about it. And, 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 and if you remember the very first week, Jordan talked about community and how important community is. And I think it was Kim that made this statement. She said, 
when we, we are facing those insurmountable odds, when we're facing something that we don't want to, to have happen, when we're being persecuted, when we're suffering, we need to surround ourselves with people who will walk through the hard stuff with you. That's church. That's our community. That's our people. That's how we are supposed to love. That's how we are supposed to serve. And we are here today because of Paul's commitment that no matter what happened to him, through all the suffering, through all the persecution, that he was going to go tell people about this resurrected Jesus that can change everything for you. So here's how I want to close today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up, and we're going to sing a last song. I want to leave you with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, writing to one of those churches that he's established one of those, those, those places that he went and, and told them about this Jesus and it changed everything for them. And he gives us this last reminder. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it because they were being persecuted also. He's saying, don't let your circumstances shake you of the faith. Don't let the things that are facing you, don't let the things that you are going through get you off track of following this Jesus. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And then Paul bottom lines it. He says, Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. That is the foundation of our faith. It's what drives us. It's what anchors us. It's everything to us. It's not all these peripheral side things. It's about Jesus. And this is our promise, and this is our hope. And you may be sitting here today, and you're suffering. You may have had the wind knocked out of you. Maybe you're, you're, you're looking at something you never expected that, that was going to happen to you. Yeah, and you may be wondering why God is allowing you to go through everything here and I need you to understand and I want you to understand that whatever you're facing whatever's going on whatever you're being persecuted or you're suffering for does not mean that God doesn't love you he is still on the throne just like he was on the throne through all the stuff that the disciples went through and Paul and so here's how I'd like to close today I'd love for you to stand And I would love to pray for all of us. So if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I don't know what you're going through. There may be pain in your life. It may be emotional. It may be physical. You may be sitting here feeling defeated. And I want you to understand that we see you. through your suffering, through your hurting. It may be through relationships, broken trust. Maybe you're bullied, you're persecuted. You feel like you don't matter. And you're wondering, well, I always feel this way. Maybe you've suffered church hurt. There's this mountain in front of you, your circumstances. It may be financial, it may be a job. You may be hopeless and afraid. You may be dealing with anxiety. Here's what I'd love you to do. If that just describes you, would you just slip your hand up and let it down just really quickly? 
Thank you. Thank you. Father God, you're our only hope. What you have been doing around this place and people's lives is nothing sort of short of astounding. And we are so thankful. The teens that have made next steps, that have found you this weekend. God, for everyone here and those who had slipped up their hands, who are feeling overwhelmed right now, I pray that they would sense you, that they would know that you are here, that you would be especially near to them. And yes, we would pray for healing. We would pray for you to take all this stuff away, but maybe that's not your plan. So God, I just pray that you give us the ability to walk through it. Father, surround them with people who can hold their hand and they can walk with them through everything they are facing. God, if you choose not to move the mountain, surround them with people who love them, who care for them, and who will walk with them. God, thank you for the church. We've tried to screw it up so many times. We continue this day to make a mess of things. But help us to love. Help us to serve. Help us to lay down our cross, our, our lives to you, to carry the cross, whatever it may be, however hard it may be. It's in the amazing, powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Would you sing with us as we close today?